Welcome to the fourth podcast from the Journal of the American Society of Nephrology. I'm Josie Briggs, editor of the journal. Joining me for this conversation is Mark Nepper, who's deputy editor of the journal and at the NIH leads the Epithelial Systems Biology Laboratory at the Heartland Blood Institute. Mark, thanks a lot for making time for this. And thanks to your team for a terrific perspective essay that we're going to talk about today. The title of your article, Does SARS-CoV-2 Infect the Kidney? This is actually a very hot debate in nephrology right now. Yeah, thanks, Josie. Uh, it is a very hot, uh, hot topic. So with the advent of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, many of the basic science uh, laboratories, uh, including mine, have uh, moved resources into projects designed to address the biology of the virus and, and host responses. I think more than a third of the uh, intramural labs in my institute, NHLBI, have done so. And it's very exciting to see so many of our colleagues contributing their scientific expertise uh, to, to the cause of uh, stopping this uh, terrible pandemic. It is a terrible pandemic uh, and getting worse right now every day. Let's start with the biology. Why has there been, since we first learned about this virus, a suspicion that the kidney might be a direct target of infection? Well, there's, there's very, very good evidence that the entry receptor for the SARS-CoV-2 virus is a cell surface protein called ACE2, angi angiotensin converting enzyme 2. So uh, we might expect then that cells in the body that express ACE2 would be targets for the virus. Uh, and fortunately, uh, this information was already available uh, prior to the pandemic from uh, multiple transcriptomic studies using next generation uh, sequencing. And basically those studies showed uh, that the highest ACE2 levels are in the small intestine, number one, and kidney, number two. So what, uh, what cells express ACE2 in the kidney? That's another question. A variety of labs, including those from uh, Ben hum Humphreys and Cotillin Sustock, Andy McMahon, Mena, Clatworthy, Anna Greca, and my own lab have contributed transcriptomic data showing predominant expression of ACE2 in proximal tubule cells. Um, and uh, immunocytochemistry seems to indicate that ACE2 is expressed mainly in the apical brush border of proximal tubule cells. So based on a lot of information, we think that the proximal tubule is a uh, likely site of uh, kidney infection by the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus and that the entry is likely to be from the tubule lumen. Okay, so let's talk about what methods are available to actually demonstrate the presence of the virus in the kidney. Now, one of the first ways to look was electron microscopy, but that turned out not to be so simple, right? Right. Uh, not every uh, 100 uh, nanometer membrane-bound structure is a viral particle. So we have to be careful with the use of uh, electron microscopy evidence alone to provide evidence for uh, the infection. 
Uh, fortunately, there are other ways to identify viral infection. So what about RT-PCR or uh, in situ to detect viral D D RNA? And what about detecting the viral protein by immuno? And will mass right. so the, help? Yeah, yeah. So the basically, you know, the SARS-CoV-2 virus is an RNA virus, so it can be detected by uh, reverse transcribing this RNA and amplifying it with PCR, that is RT-PCR. So RT-PCR is pretty good and it's of course been highly optimized because it's the main tool we have uh, to test for the disease in the population. Uh, a different way to detect viral RNA is through the use of in situ uh, hybridization, which can d uh, directly demonstrate viral RNA inside of cells and is uh, therefore uh, more directly indicative of infection. Uh, an additional useful method is uh, immunocytic chemistry using uh, antibodies to viral proteins. So antibodies recognize either the, uh, the spike protein or the nucleocapsid protein of, uh, of the virus are available uh, commercially. However, immunocytic chemistry can give false positive results, I think, as uh, most of us uh, have maybe experienced in our own labs, and really careful labeling controls are always essential in these studies. Perhaps the most convincing evidence for viral infection is recovery of the replicating virus from tissue uh, via standard viral culture techniques. So there are a lot of tools that are, uh, that are available, and some are better than others. Is it fair to say that recovery of live virus in urine or directly from kidney tissue will be the gold standard. Yes, but it's always wise to use multiple methodologies, as done, for example, by the Huber Group, to guard against false conclusions from systematic errors that are possible in any single method. And given the methodological problems, where does this stand now? So all of these methodologies have been employed in the various papers that are, were cited in our perspectives article. It does seem that in some COVID-19 patients, the SARS virus has infected kidney epithelial cells. However, with the exception of one of the cited papers, observations have been made really in necropsy uh, kidneys uh, from patients who have died of COVID-19. So an important unanswered question, I think, is, is whether uh, renal infection is unique to end-stage COVID-19 or whether it also occurs in less severe disease. Uh, if the latter is true, then we need to know how common uh, kidney infection is as a function of disease severity. And this is important because uh, acute kidney injury is a not infrequent uh, concomitant of COVID-19, and it's possible that direct kidney infection is a uh, contributing cause. So discovering whether renal infection precedes COVID-19-associated AKI would be very helpful in this regard. Right. AKI is clearly a big problem in the hospitalized COVID patient group. Uh, so where do we need to go from here? So we're um, only about nine months into the pandemic, 
uh, and many of the observations reported thus far are anecdotal with observations in one or a small number of patients. Uh, and despite the advent of, uh, of uh, COVID-19 vaccines that are likely to come into play in the next few months, the disease is really likely to be around for quite some time. So I think we have time to do some some of the type of studies uh, that are necessary to truly understand the disease and its renal manifestations. So in my opinion, what we need is, is a scientifically rigorous approach with observations in uh, large numbers of patients with uh, statistical endpoints that we don't have yet. Uh, so this conclusion, I think, applies to this uh, question that we addressed in the perspectives article, when does SARS-CoV-2 infect the kidney? So keep going. How are we going to get definitive answers? So I think that we can benefit from uh, studies using ultra-sensitive techniques to detect the virus in urine. If the SARS-CoV-2 infection occurs in the proximal tubule of the kidney, or really for that matter in any re uh, renal tubule segment or podocytes, the basic biology of the disease predicts that the virus should be shed into the urine. Therefore, measurements of viral RNA, viral protein, or live virus in the urine should be capable of detecting uh, viral infection uh, in the kidney. Now, in our JSON narrative, we pointed out a couple of papers that looked for virus in urine, showing an extremely low frequency in hospitalized uh, COVID-19 patients. However, these measurements were not really adequate to answer the question, in my opinion, because they really weren't optimized for sensitivity and, and could well represent, uh, represent false negatives. Uh, there are standard ways to concentrate viral particles, including ultracentrifugation. Furthermore, uh, ribonucleases in urine can potentially degrade viral mRNA, leading again to false negative readouts. So on the positive side, meanwhile, some investigators have begun to exploit uh, a, a new method, protein mass spectrometry, for the sensitive and specific detection of viral proteins. So I think it, it might be feasible to set up a fairly large study of hospitalized COVID-19 patients across the spectrum of disease severity using mass spectrometry-based uh, viral protein detection uh, and optimally viral culture techniques in ultracentrifugated samples to find out how common uh, direct kidney infection is. Um, and these studies should be done then with enough statistical power to be confident of the uh, conclusions. Okay, very helpful. To summarize and wrap up, uh, we are convinced there's a need for well-powered studies with a representative population of hospitalized patients, maybe even some non-hospitalized patients, to determine the rate of viral shedding into the urine. Such data are critical if we're going to get to the base of understanding what is very clear, which is the high rates of acute kidney injury seen with hospitalized patients. By the way, we are planning a second podcast on that topic, AKI in COVID. Hope our listeners will tune in for that discussion. At this point, I think the data is not completely consistent. 
uh, and as Mark has described, definitive methods have not been applied. Also, I would say right now it's fair to say that most reports seem to suggest that it's not simply infection, other factors that co contribute to AKI, food volume and, and cytokine activation, inflammatory factors, particularly in the very ill patient. But clearly we know this is a very important pro problem. Another point Mark makes in his terrific perspective, which I urge you all to read, is that it will be important to know how frequently live viruses excreted in urine uh, in both hospitalized and non-hospitalized patients, because this is also needed to fully understand disease transmission. So important unsolved questions, but ones that I think we're getting closer to knowing how to approach. Uh, thank you, Mark. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so thank you all. And uh, tune in for our next podcast, uh, which will again explore some of the important COVID-related questions in nephrology. Uh, thank you all. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology, all rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare provider if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.